Today's episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi, everybody. I'm Eric Arno, and this is part one of a two-part Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast based on the theme Authenticity, chosen and co-curated by friend of the group Sean Smith, creator of Seanimals. Uh, Sean brought out a bunch of his friends, and we brought some of ours for a couple episodes inspired by the word authentic. This week, you'll hear from Nerdalogs member Mary Beth Smith, returning friend of the show Shelby Mongan, puzzler Sandy Weiss, stand-up Brandon Kirkman, and man about the internet Harper Reed. Plus, you'll get music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Jim Snedeker. Uh, we just had an amazing weekend at PAX in Seattle, so maybe you saw us out there. If you did, that's awesome. Uh, we are a little light on plugs right now because, man, that was our focus for, like, all summer. Uh, that said, there are a couple upcoming dates you can keep in mind. Next Friday, September 18th, we'll be representing the brand new sketch show we did out in Seattle for a Chicago audience. Uh, that was a lot of fun, so you probably won't want to miss that if you like our sketch comedy. Uh, then, that Sunday, the 20th, we've got our next Your Stories recording. Uh, that Both of those are going to be at some office, 1917 North Elston in Chicago. Uh, stay tuned for updates on guests and the theme for that Your Stories. We will have them out hopefully this week. Man, we, we better. Uh, also, I always mention this, but Your Stories is super stoked to be a part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op which supports a number of other Nerdalogs projects as well, including Talking Games every Tuesday and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith every Wednesday. Uh, another non-co-op podcast I really dig is called The Catch-Up. It is a year-long serial podcast about a radio show in the post-apocalypse, uh, created and hosted by Emmy Award-winning comedy writer Gary Lucy. New episodes come on every Thursday and are hosted at Nerdalogs.com as well as iTunes, so check that out. That is definitely a passion project for me. Uh, to represent it via the Nerdalogs, and I love it a ton. Uh, so I think that's all I've got for now, friends. So please enjoy the show. Uh, the theme tonight was chosen by Sean Smith. He picked Authentic. And so uh, the direction we took the music for that is the opposite of Authentic. These are all artists who have had lip-syncing scandals. <laughs> because you know what? Authentic is something different to everybody, but frauds are frauds. Am I right? <laughs> except, except not really, because we're actually playing some legit good songs. Uh, the artist just happened to lip sync because it's not really cool to play a bunch of horrible songs. You guys would get bored. 
uh, very quickly. So uh, this is a very famous band that was obviously lip syncing. Quite an understatement. Uh, um, this band may or may not be bigger than Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't make any claims to that. But uh, yeah. So the, uh, when they first appeared on American TV, they were 100% lip syncing because they were not allowed to do otherwise. And the way you can tell is that the song uses hand claps as percussion, but no one is clapping. Yeah. Uh, P.S. The theme of the music was suggested by Claire Friedman tonight. She's our fourth. She got stranded in Maine, so she is not here today. So it's just three dudes rapping with you. We're just jamming, jamming on stage. <laughs> jamming. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna jam out, starting with uh, starting with this classic. One, two. Something I think you'll understand when I say that something I wanna hold your hand, I wanna hold your hand, I wanna hold your hand. Oh, please say to me, you'll let me be your man, and please say to me. You'll let me hold your hand I want to hold your hand I want to hold your hand And when I touch you I feel happy inside It's such a feeling that my love I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide Yeah, you that's something I think you'll understand When I say that's something I wanna hold your hand I wanna hold your hand I wanna hold your hand And when I touch you I feel happy inside it's such a feeling that my love, I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide. Yeah, you got that something I think you'll understand. When I feel that something, I want to hold your hand, I want to hold your hand. song in their life. Uh, so this, yeah, this is another Logs Your Stories. Mary Beth did a great job of introducing the show. And now she is going to actually tell the first story. This is Mary Beth Smith. Mary Beth Smith! Oh, man. I'm going to try to get this up. Yeah, we did it. Okay. Um, first of all, I do this. Okay. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, this week Target announced that they're going to remove a lot of uh, gender-specific um, signage and color schemes in their stores. Uh, the official statement that they released included um, that in some sections like toys, home, or entertainment, gender is unnecessary. Our teams are working across the store 
to identify areas where we can phase out gender-based signage to help strike a better balance. For example, in the kids' bedding area, signs will no longer feature suggestion for boys or girls, just kids. In the toy aisles, we will also remove reference to gender, including the use of pink, blue, yellow, or green paper on the back walls of our shelves. That's all they said. Uh, I was so jazzed as I see that uh, Shelby was too, because I was just like, how can this be bad? Like, how could anyone be mad about this? <laughs> um, uh, here's an excerpt from something that Franklin Graham had to say on Facebook about it. Oh, really? I think Target may be forgetting who made their stores strong. It's not gender-neutral people out there. It's working American families, fathers and mothers with boys and girls they love. What's next? Are they going to try to make people believe that pink or blue baby showers are politically incorrect? Um, A couple of other choice uh, comments that I saw surrounding this uh, were, How ridiculous can you get? Seriously, in all caps, more pussification of America. You can bet my hard-earned money won't be spent at Target. And uh, one more. Now that Target is trying to be overly PC and basically just want gender neutral or transgenders to shop there, I will have to go out of my way to shop elsewhere. Now, I can recognize that this is very troubling. (laughs) And obviously, some of these people don't even understand what the term gender neutral means. Um, I can't get into how upsetting this is to me, so instead, I decided uh, to try to provide insight from the perspective of a lifelong tomboy, uh, a moniker that when I was growing up, I, I never really embraced but was constantly faced with um i can only hope that these changes will kind of gradually inspire understanding and that uh these opinions will be fewer and fewer um i've always eschewed more traditionally girly things Uh, my favorite color has always been red i have always hated pink because it is close but no cigar I love things like soccer and t-ball, and I always had to get someone else to put my makeup on in plays that I was in where I was frequently cross-cast. Um, and for those outside of the uh, performance world, that means I played a bunch of dude roles. Um, I would very, very occasionally wear a dress or a jumper or something of that sort to church, um, but usually I preferred the bolder, less gendered color schemes, and I was usually in uh, jeans and a t-shirt. This uh, wearing dressier clothes that are usually associated with women oftenly, often um, prompts comments like, oh my gosh, you look so nice when you dress up, or like, you should wear dresses more often, or um, any number of things that I find there could be such a better way to give someone a compliment. Um, (laughs) Along with all of this, I preferred my brother's toys, um, mostly Legos, but also uh, Ninja Turtles and Transformers, and those dope Ninja Turtles that were also Transformers. You guys remember that? Oh, Donatella was a race car. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, I had my own bevy of Beast Wars, Transformers, and Ninja Turtle action figures. And 
I had some Barbies, but not tons. And I usually opted for athletes and doctors instead of foofy dressed Barbies. Uh, my favorite was when Midge went camping because she had red hair and a jean jacket and, or a jean um, vest and boots instead of high heels. And her hair changed colors in the sun like mine did. And it made me so fucking happy. Um, one thing that I loved uh, that my brother was a little too old to get into when I did was Power Rangers. Um, I watched it every day after school through the Ninja Rangers era. When Billy's Zord became a wolf, my favorite animal, it was very solidified that his, uh, he was my most admired ranger, hands down. He was smart and cute, and he didn't have to wear a skirt. Um, in the mid-90s, Halloween was filled with the polyester jumpsuits and giant plastic masks of the Rangers. I spent at least three separate Halloweens in either a Ninja Turtle or generic Ninja costume. I, that's true. <laughs> but I never ventured, in, ventured into the Rangers because the Blue Ranger was a boy. Boys only ever dressed as Billy, Jason, Zach, Tommy. Girls could only be Trini and Kimberly. It was the same way on the playground. I I was pushing things as it was with my activity choices uh, that usually involved a few other girls and my clothing choices where I I still tried to throw in some stuff that I wasn't crazy about to maintain some, uh, quote, normalcy. I loved... The Power Rangers, but I I would have jeopardized my authenticity by dressing as anyone but Billy. So I never did. As the years went by, things like gender norms and gender roles and style became conflated with sexuality. Uh, Looking back on my later teens and early 20s, I was a little too indignant when someone would assume I was a lesbian. I defended my indignance by citing my own desire to appear as authentically as I could. I never wanted anyone to think that I was purporting to be someone that I wasn't because I had definitely grown past my fear of norms and others' perceptions of me based on pretty much anything. (laughs) But if the opportunity arose now, I would definitely dress as the Blue Ranger. (laughs) But I I was still missing the point. It shouldn't matter. My sexuality, like my desire to dress in a certain way, to choose certain activities, and which toys I wanted to play with, should not matter to anyone else. And whatever someone's assumption was based on the natural human desire to categorize and quantify did not matter at all. Because I knew who I was. And this one thing is only who I want to sleep with and nothing else besides that. (laughs) The color of the back of the shelves and the signage above them in a store should not matter. This kind of change may very well have helped me be a more courageous and accepting person at a younger age. I hope this move by Target on such a public level will open conversations about all these topics and loosen a lot of walls that exist between genders where norms and roles and sexuality, which has nothing to do with one's gender, are concerned. Target's really blue rangering it right now. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
right. Uh, fun fact: Mary Beth and I. One of our first bonding exercises was over the fact that there were Beast Wars animorphs toys because Mary Beth fucking loves animorphs. I almost agreed with you, but I did not. <laughs> I got you covered. And guys, I love Transformers, so it was like it was it was perfect. They're so cool, even though they're terrible toys. It's so cool. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, this next speaker coming to the stage, I guess you could call her a returning champion. So she was at like every episode for probably a year and a half, and then she went to Dayton, Ohio to learn and stuff, which yeah, is gross. dumb. But now she's back here in Chicago with a degree, and she's going to be back on this stage. This is Shelby Mongan. Dwight can suck it. Um, I'm going to move this out of the way. So I'm going to do a little introduction, uh, adding on what Eric said, because this story makes no sense if you don't know what I've been doing. Um, so like Eric said, I am uh, sort of a veteran of your stories. I've been doing this for – I've known you guys for about four years now, which is really weird, four or five years, um, and have been doing your stories about that long. And I was a regular teller, um, and at the – end of my senior year summer at DePaul, um, I was getting ready to move. I was leaving my boyfriend. I was leaving my nerds. <laughs> I was leaving the life that I had lived for the last four years and loved. I'm obsessed with Chicago. I love this city. I'm not from here. So I have the zeal that only a convert can have. <laughs> but I was going to grad school. Uh, and I talked last time I was here about failing at grad school. That's another story on the podcast, which you can check out on the Nerdalogs Network. Um, uh, so I was going to do my grad school program, and the four or the two years that I was there, I said over and over again, in two years, I'm going back to Chicago. That was what I kept saying to everyone. That was my plan. I'm going back to Chicago. So I have been back here now for just about two weeks. And when I was driving from Ohio to move back here, uh, in my, if you see the tiny pink car outside, that was filled with everything I own. So very packed in in the car um, as I was driving down the highway uh, in the middle of Indiana's cornfields and cornfields and then soybean fields and then more cornfields. <laughs> I kept passing the signs and they would count down the miles left to Chicago. It was getting shorter and shorter, 120 to 100 to 60, down and down. And I was getting closer, and as I did, I realized that I had been lying for the last two years. I was not coming back to Chicago. So you can tell, spoiler alert, I'm here. So technically, I was telling the truth. I came back to the city. But I wasn't coming back to Chicago. The I that was coming back, it wasn't the same I that left. On a very obvious level, I have a degree. I have a new degree now. I have my master's, my blessed, useless master's degree. And I have a lot more experiences, and I'm jaded more than I used to be, but I'm also happier than I used to be. And I'm older, and I've been through a lot more, a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. It's not the same I that left. That I isn't coming back. And the Chicago is not the same Chicago that I left either. Rahm Emanuel is still here, so unfortunately that's still the same. <laughs> but I literally live on a different side of the tracks now. I live on the south side when I used to live on the north side. And I don't hang out with the same people that I used to hang out with in college. And I don't have the same life that I lived in college. Also, side note, no one told me how good not having homework was. Holy shit! What? 
<laughs> I have been missing out for my entire life. Um, it's not the same Chicago. I can't go back to the same places. Um, some places I can't because the building's closed or the people that work there aren't the same anymore. Even your stories is completely different than the Chicago that I left it with. So it's, there's not an eye coming back. And the Chicago isn't the place I'm coming back either. And so I wasn't intentionally lying, but when I thought about it, I realized that I had to flip my thinking. I had to be more authentic to my experience. Charlie, you have to drink now. Um, I, I had to be more authentic to my experience because at the end of the day, if I was thinking that I was coming back, all I was going to do was be upset and be disappointed that I wasn't going to have the good things that I see with my rose-tinted glasses looking behind me. So as I was on this drive, when I was getting poked in the head with all of my boxes because my car is very small, I decided to readjust my thinking. I was going on my journey to new Chicago. New me, new Chicago. It wasn't coming back. It was a brand new chapter. And so far, it's been pretty good, sweaty, but pretty good. And I'm really excited to be back with all of you again. Thank you. Welcome back, Shelby. We're so happy to have you. You're right, your stories is different. Jim's here now. You didn't need to call him out like that. You know? We all understand he's new. Hi, Jim. You're doing great, buddy. Oh, no, I'm like, you just need to let Jim do it. I agree. He's better than... He's better than white. <laughs> anyway, so as you all know, uh, Mr. Sean Smith, our illustrious guest and friend, uh, brought some of his own friends to tell stories tonight. The first of them is coming up now. Uh, this gentleman was described to me as a web designer, uh, best known as a game and puzzle aficionado. I was told to call him quite the puzzler. He is the man behind the group The Mystery League. This is Sandy Weiss. Hey, I just fell off my bike, so I'm a little shaken up. I'm all right, but if I feel a little, if I act a little shaken, that's why. It's the second time I've done that in like 10 years, and I feel like by doing it the first time, I was able to avoid breaking my wrist this time. That's that's a thing, right? Like you get better at not breaking your wrist? Okay. So I've I've always been kind of a slave to authenticity. Um, I still am, and uh, to the point that it's gotten me in trouble. Uh, One of my first jobs out of college, I would get... Um, in trouble, if not explicitly, um, implicitly by audibly sighing in meetings. It was a terribly corporate job. And, and I was sitting there just listening to this bullshit and thinking, and then sighing audibly about how terrible it was. And then my friends would nudge me later and be like, you can't do that. Um, and it's like, uh, like recently if I was working on a project and a friend was writing a bio for me and wrote, Sandy Weiss, something, 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 incapable of bullshit, um, which I love so much that I've adapted it as my Twitter bio. <laughs> but, um, but when I was younger, I, you know, as a teenager, this was my chance to experiment with the dark arts of lying, um, and uh, and so I wasn't so true to that to that ethos. Um, the best example of this was, well, I was a summer camp kid, and what I mean by that is not I went to summer camp, but my life was summer camp. I assume some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But for those of you who don't, summer camp was my life in the way that the rest of my life, the nine months in which was, I was in school, was not. It was just the waiting period between uh, summers. Uh, the waiting period 
until I got to be cool at least a little bit. Summer camp, I had uh, a life. I had a lot of, um, I don't know, a um, little bit of respect. I had uh, a few girlfriends. I had friends, uh, more than two, uh, which is how it was the rest of the year. And I don't say this to be sorry, I ju- to, to make you feel sorry for me. I just say it as a statement of fact. There was my regular life, and there was my summer camp life. And part of the reason that this was possible was um, I went to summer camp in Connecticut, uh, and I went to high school in Indiana. And there were not many people at my summer camp from Indiana or even that far away. And so it was an entirely divorced set of people, uh, the people who knew me at home and the people who knew me uh, at summer camp. The camp uh, eventually moved off of the grounds of a private school in Connecticut called Avon Old Farms, which is this really stuffy, probably centuries-old private school. They kicked us off after a few years because we were making too much of a mess of the place. And we had had to find a new place to go, and we ended up in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, which was weird because the the camp was called New England Experience. (laughs) And Pennsylvania is not in New England. Um, but we ended up on a, on a lake. It was lovely. It was more of a rustic camp. And, uh, and I ended up being a lifer there, uh, which means eight weeks in the span of a summer. And uh, I grew up to be, I uh, graduated to be a CIT, and then I graduated to be a CA, uh, which was a counselor's assistant, which was just shy of being someone they, uh, so, someone who got money for the job but still had the responsibilities. <laughs> And uh, so camp lasted eight weeks, and uh, eight week, those eight weeks were split up into four two-week sessions. And most people, most campers came for two weeks and then left, and then a new set of campers would come in. But like I said, I was there for the whole summer. And on these Saturdays, between sessions, we had nothing to do as counselors, assistants, and CITs. We were waiting around for the next session to begin. And one of these Saturdays, the counselors and the administration decided uh, that they'd be nice to us uh, for being such good slaves over the summer and take us to New York City. And so we loaded in a van and we drove uh, to New York City and we spent the day in the city and then in the evening we went to uh, one of the counselors' houses in Mount Kisco, which is this lovely rustic, um, or I should say bucolic town in upstate New York. And I remember that night as being one of those moments when you're a kid when you just have a glimpse into what adulthood is like and the coolness of it. There was sitting out on a patio overlooking a forest, drinking beer, I assume. Probably was Mad Dog, to be honest. Um, But when you're 15, you don't know. Everything looks cool. Talking about really important things. And I just remember sitting there watching these adults, by which I mean, of course, 19-year-olds, talk about important things and thinking, oh, this is what it's going to be like when I'm older and out of high school and in college and having access to things. Of course, I'm sure they were talking about bullshit and drinking bullshit, Um, (laughs) but to my eye and to my ear, it was all the same. But that night is not what I'm here to talk about. That night was me basking in the glow of what had happened earlier. And what had happened earlier was we'd gone to see a Broadway show. And this was in a matinee in um, in, on Broadway. It was the musical Tommy, probably like 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. And uh, I was pretty happy because I knew Tommy. I grew up listening to classic rock, and so I, this was a bit of my domain. But we got, we got sent to the theater in a bus. We got given our tickets, which were up in the third balcony. And as we sat there watching the show, 
I noticed my friends and my counselors mumbling audibly a few seats over and then looking at me and then mumbling again and then looking at me and making faces at me. I had no idea what they were talking about. So at intermission, I say, what the fuck are you guys doing? Although I probably didn't say fuck because it wasn't that cool yet. I said, what, what's up? And they said, how do you get up here so fast? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you're down there and now you're up here. What's going on? And I say, what do you mean? And they go on and on like this. And finally, I figure out that what they're trying to tell me is that I look like Tommy. <laughs> Which was not true. But he was a man with hair down to black hair down to his ears and he was wearing a red shirt. For someone in the third balcony, that's enough. Enough for them to, make, to use as a tool to make fun of me. Um, or to tease me. And I said, okay, that's funny. And we went back and we watched the rest of the show. And then we left... And we're in the third floor, and we're, and we're just, me and, and a friend are talking, and we're just kind of following the crowd out of the theater. And what we don't notice is we get sent down an, a uh, sort of a side stairwell. And so we're just walking down the stairwell, and we go outside, and we end up in this alley. Not in the front of the theater, but in the alley. And I stop my friend, and I say, Josh, I know where we are. We are next to the stage door. If we wait here... We will, we will see the actors come out and greet them before anyone else can greet them. And we'll be able to get their autographs. Wait here. So we waited, and we waited, and waited, and someone finally came out. But we didn't recognize them, so we let them walk by. And then someone else came out. We didn't recognize them, so we didn't say anything. And then at that moment, I realized, oh, right, everyone's wearing costumes. <laughs> And makeup and wigs. I am not going to succeed at this, especially from how far away I was sitting. Um, so we agree that this is a, a, a fool's errand, and uh, it's, we best be on our way. I need to describe to you the geography of where we were. We were not in an alley that extended from the street. There was the street, and then there was the theater, and we were in an alley behind the theater. So one end of, our, of the alley we were in was the building, and the other end was another building. And around that corner was an alley that connected connected the two. So we start walking to that, uh, that connected alley. And as we get to the light where we can start to see what's in that alley, we notice there's a velvet rope. And there's a guard. And there are throngs of people stuffed there. And it occurs to us, this is where the people are waiting for autographs. We had gotten in behind the rope. But we couldn't do anything with that access because we had no idea what these actors looked like. We had to rely on their own admittance of being famous. Um, so, so we said, screw it, we'll just go in. So we go, behind the, we go into the crowd, we find our friends, and it's at that moment that the temptation grabbed me. And I turned to my friend Alyssa, and I said, hand me your playbill. And she did. And I took out my pen, and I signed it, and I gave it back to her. And I turn around, and 15 teenage girls are thrusting their playbills at me. And I take them, and I sign them. And I hand it back, and I take another one, and I sign it. And I'm just scribbling the most insane, non-legible signature, and I hand it back. And I hear one of them say, Mommy, I don't think that was the right man. And to me, this lasted 15 minutes. It probably lasted 20 seconds, if that. But it was glorious. And at some moment in there, I think I must have gotten a harried look on my face and realized I had no escape route out of here. <laughs> and my counselor at that moment, who had been slack-jawed the whole time, grabs my elbow, pulls me back, and says, Sir, your limo is waiting, and takes me out to the <laughs> 
and I've never been as cool since. Thank you, Sandy. Man, I wish you were here on Tommy night. Me and Dwight did some songs from Tommy like two months in a row. Got nothing tonight, man. All right, guys, coming up next to the stage, uh, Chicago stand-up comedian, wonderful, funny person, Brandon Kirkman. All right, so as a comedian, what's authentic in life, especially with comedy, is very important to me. Like, I always try to think back to two things. What's one of the most authentically funny things I can remember happening in my life in that moment, and who's one of the most authentically funny people I've met? Um... Going back to one of the most authentic, funny things I can think about, it's a very vivid memory. I was about 12 or 13, and I was in a Borders looking around at books, and I was walking by one of the self-help sections, and I missaw the title of Rich Dad, Poor Dad as Rich Dad, Poop Dad. (laughs) And I laughed so hard that I'm pretty sure everybody in that Borders thought I had a mental disorder. (laughs) Looking back now, who's to say they were wrong? (laughs) Um... But I always go back to this, and I, I say to myself, other experiences in my life, well, I enjoy them as much as this authentically funny one. Like when I have children, where the miracle of childbirth be as good as rich dad poop dad. <laughs> and I think to myself, I know myself too well, it might not be, and that's going to be really sad. Um, and then when you get older, you don't enjoy things as much in life or find things as funny. You become more jaded, and you need a little magic in the world. And I was having a horrible experience at work a few nights ago, and I remember driving home just feeling like, fuck this world. And I got behind a car, and I misread the bumper sticker. It said, I love my boxer. And it looked at just the right distance. I love Mr. Boner. (laughs) With a picture of a boxer. And that magic entered my life again. (laughs) So guys, don't stop believing in your brain not working good. But going to authentically funny people, um, it's interesting. Most people, they would go for an idol in their own profession. I'm a comedian, and you think it would be another comedian or an improviser. Um, it's actually my college art professor named Benjamin Stone. There's one thing you take from the set, Google Benjamin Stone, because there's just so much crazy shit on him. But it happens so much in life because with people, they'll go into the profession they weren't supposed to, and they'll find they were way better at something else. Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite writers of all time, was a chemist before he became an amazing writer. Adolf Hitler was an artist. Didn't go so high. It would have been nice if that one actually worked out. So I'm just saying that's more of a swap on that one. And then Jesus Christ was a carpenter before he became a really good Jesus. I have to say, number one Jesus, definitely Jesus. But going to examples of why I think Benjamin Stone's one of the most authentically funny people I met in life is there's three good stories I have about him. The first one was the first art critique I ever had with him was one of my favorite things that happened. Um, One of the students put up a painting, and it was just, it was so awful. It was just, it looked like she found a way to find, like, menstrual blood and vomit and combine it. But where you know both of the colors are there, and you could smell it at a distance. (laughs) So that part was amazing. But everybody, this was their first art critique for the most part, mine as well. And we didn't know what to say. We were so meek. We didn't want to be mean. And finally, it got to Benjamin Stone. He just crossed his arms and go like, I don't like this. It's terrible. And it makes me feel bad. (laughs) The look on her face, if you could make that into a drug, would wipe out the modern world within a year. There is no type of drug we made that's good. Um, the second story is that he's a big Chicagoan, and when Harry Carey passed away, like around 98, 
most people would have their own kind of like effigies they would do or kind of honor of how they would, you know, give a tribute to him. He decided he wanted to build a giant ghost balloon of Harry Carey. <laughs> Weird enough already, right? <laughs> and then he decided, well, maybe I should just fly around and take a nice video. He's like, no, let's fly this over a Cubs game. <laughs> he decided to do that, run around, and Cubs fan will beat up anybody for almost any reason if you get them drunk enough. So he's already in danger. This became such a great thing that people started cheering for this balloon, and they had to interview him after the show. So if you want to see a really great clip, just Google Benjamin Stone, Ghost of Harry Carey, and you can see a crazy interview with him of just talking about, like, yeah, I just thought it'd be good to make a ghost balloon of Harry Carey after he passed away. <laughs> that was his artist statement for it. <laughs> uh, the final story I want to give about him is that he was married by a robot. That's not like a hyperbolic thing or like a funny ha-ha story. That he was married by a robot. He went to the government to see if he could get an animatronic robot with his recordings of doing the vows after he become like uh, a minister to give that, you know, the online thing you can do. And they said, sure, which is funny to me because, like, this was in the early 2000s, so you could still go to them like, hey, is it all right if I get married by a robot? They're like, yeah, sure. Is it all right if I have two men marry each other? No! You can't do that. That's ridiculous. So I'm glad some change has been going on for that. Um, but I think back to that, that robot, and it's such an impressive thing. But what's even more impressive is that we're all trying to be authentic. We're all trying to be as good as our idols. And I think, will I ever be as funny or as good as Benjamin Stone? I'm like, am I an authentic person? When I think about what's authentic to me, that's Googling a Pokemon adult wristwatch into eBay. <laughs> and then saying I typed adult to that and being like, mm, no, that's not good. For him, I'm trying to be as good as the animatronic robot he built because he had it do stand-up for an art installation, and I'm pretty sure it was more funny than I'll ever be. So I'm pretty fucked. Hopefully you guys can find a better thing that you can be more authentic with in life. Thanks a lot, Eric. <laughs> Brandon, may we all be lucky enough to be married by robots one day. Or, you know, maybe you marry a robot. I don't know. I'm not here to judge, guys. All I'm saying is robots are great. So we have one more speaker, and then we're going to take a short break. Hi, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's a true statement, not a bit. This man, uh, this is fella is a man about the Internet. This is Harper Reed. Where is he? Look at this shirt, by the way. Look at this shirt. There's a story behind this shirt. I, uh, this shirt, Sean posted this image on Twitter and was like, this is what my computer is doing right now. And someone was like, that'd make a great shirt. And I was like, yes, it would. And I just, I just stole it, which is actually some foreshadowing. So, um, one of the main things that I enjoy doing in life is to basically do stuff that I would think was cool in high school. I don't know if this is something for you guys. So, like, I one of my past careers, I worked for the president. My high school self would be like, that's awesome. And it's, like, things like that. Like, anything like that. Like, meeting, for some reason, meeting, like, 90s musicians. I'm just like, yes! Like, I don't care about modern music, all that stuff. But it's, like, anything that I would have felt cool about doing in high school, I really enjoy right now. So, this is a quick story about... One of those things. So, um, how many of you people know Metallica? Okay. <clears throat> I was super into Metallica in high school. I mean, just super into it. I loved it. And I and probably only had like two or three albums. I wasn't like a whole catalog type person. I just, for whatever reason, I would just listen to Battery over and over and over and over again. It was just this awesome experience. So I'd go see Metallica a bunch anytime they were around. Um, and... In 2008, they came out with this album, Death Magnetic. Did any of you guys hear Death Magnetic? It was a terrible album. Was it good? 
Okay, it might have been... I have to admit that I did not listen to it because I had basically forsaken anything that was done by Metallica after a certain point. But in that album, if you go to the last page, it says Photo by Harper Reed. Which, in high school, I would have been like, fuck, yeah, you got a photo in a Metallica record? Like, come on. Because I'm not a great photographer. I'm a terrible photographer. But I get that. And the album actually won a Grammy for the packaging, like the album itself. So, ostensibly, I also have a Grammy for this photo. So, this is all very, very cool, especially to my high school self. So, uh, the interesting thing, though, is I didn't take the photo. So it turns out that I'm a I'm a big advocate of internet rights, um, Creative Commons. You guys know Creative Commons, really amazing stuff. And so we went to this Metallica show in 2004, my friend Derek and I. Um, and it was Flickr had just launched. We were super excited about Flickr. We were super excited about Creative Commons. We go to this show, and it was amazing. He had, do you guys remember the Sony Clie? It was a Palm Pilot. It was like this, the biggest Palm Pilot you could get. It split into, it was like a flip phone that was this long. So you could talk on it. It was hilarious. But, so we had this, at the show, we were doing this thing because you couldn't take photos back then at a concert. This was illegal. Um, and so what we'd do is I'd go like this and then he would take this very thin device and take a picture of the, of the stage. But we were so far back that there was no stage. All it was was guys going like this in front of us. Um, and so this really hilarious picture, all these pictures actually, um, we, we, we had and so um, it was on a memory stick you guys remember those and um, so in 2004 we go to this show we go clubbing the whole, this whole fun thing we come home next morning we wake up a little hungover I'm like that's awesome let's upload these photos to the internet and so we're like yeah so I upload them all to the internet um, and we actually I, he didn't have a Flickr account at the time so I just put them on my Flickr no big deal and we're, we're hanging out we're like yeah this is great and I had set everything to Creative Commons um just by default. And it was like, yeah, cool. So a couple years go by, and I get this email from this ad agency that's like, hey, we found this this image, and we'd love to use it. And I was like, what image? I look at it, and I'm like, oh, it's this, this photo of these guys going like this. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, but I'm pretty sure I didn't take that photo. So I just messaged Derek, and I'm like, yo, Derek, uh, someone wants to use that image. He's like, that's cool. And that's kind of it. <laughs> and then... Uh, couple like a year later it's in metallica's album and uh so that's kind of my story on authenticity how i stole someone's photo and got the photo credit and won a grammy (laughs) thank you you, harper you and jim should talk about metallica death magnetic's all right yeah i didn't stay after saint anger we talk about this a lot because i feel so betrayed Oh, see, I'm with Charlie on this one, but we'll hear from you in the next half, Charlie, right now. Uh, this, this might be a little, might be a little tough. This song's a little taxing on the, the vocal cords. But, uh, I think it is. For you? Yeah, well, I'm not oh, singing yeah, it. Not, I don't, I don't not for Dwight. No, not for Dwight. For this guy. This is Jim, everybody. I have to sing this? No, you're singing this. I have to sing this? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, I'll do it. I'll do it. I've never sang it. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't even like this artist. Oh, really? Not even a little bit. This was from, uh, I think, his first appearance on, on like Soul Train or something. No, this totally. was from the uh, Motown 25th Whoops. anniversary yeah, yeah. show. Thing. There you go. But I, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or something. Uh, so you guys are all this song. Dance on the floor in the rain. She said, I am the one who 
part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like your stories, you might also enjoy friendshipping. Hosts Jen and Trin discuss friendship, particularly between ladies. They tackle the tricky stuff, like how can I make friends as an adult, how to end a toxic friendship, and more. Friendshipping can be found on iTunes, as well as friendshipping.simplecast.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548x.